0: Welcome to Shed, a podcast brought to you by the Vineyard Gazette. I'm your host, Eric Adams. During the fall of 2020, I interviewed members of our Martha's Vineyard community about the impact and implications of race in their lives. As a practicing therapist, I was interested in exploring the unique experiences that shape the lives of each guest and influence the way they see themselves and the world. We chose the name Shed to encourage listeners to do away with old beliefs that no longer serve us and to shed some light on systemic racism and its effects on us as individuals as well as the communities in which we live. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the show. Here we are again. I'm your host, Eric Adams. Welcome to Shed. So today... We are joined by a longtime friend of mine named Ryan Murtha. Hey, Eric. So, Ryan, just so the people get to know a little bit about you, tell us who you are. Well, my name is Ryan Murtha. I grew up on uh, Long Island. I do carpentry. I have uh, a wife and two young kids. I thought to invite Ryan to shed because of a phone conversation we had, Ryan being Ryan, gave me a call, and asked a very simple, yet very complicated question. Ryan called, and he said, Eric, I got to ask you something. Am I a racist? And it stopped me in my tracks, because I don't know that I've ever been asked that before by someone. I don't think you've ever asked me anything like that before. Not that I can think of, no. Can you tell us what made you ask the question? With all
1: that's going on in the world today, I do question how I think of things and how I am and how I'm perceived by you as a black guy. And I I thought I'd get a good, honest answer out of you. So I took it as a shot to ask someone that I can know I could ask, you know what I mean? And I don't feel like I am, I feel like I uh, try not to be, but I have things that I go, oh, maybe there's something I'm missing, or maybe I'm missing the little bits and pieces that maybe a lot of people can't see. I guess
0: I could look to you for help in pointing some of those things Mm -hmm. out. Like very obviously. (laughs) I I was really grateful that you asked. I think what we're hoping for, some of the, the awareness that's come since the murder of George Floyd and the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement, is that we're really hoping people ask themselves and each other these questions. We have shied away from, I think, looking deeper into the nature of racism and our own personal biases. Do you remember what my answer to the question was? I don't really remember your answer, but do you? I do. I think I reacted right away and just said, yes. I think the reason I did is because we are now seeing racism along a spectrum and that everyone who's been born and raised in the United States has been affected by it to one degree or another so that none of us get away completely clean from it. And that includes myself. You know, I've been impacted by negative stereotypes of black people, Developing ways of being in relation to white people thoughts and feelings that I have that are That have bias in them and it's hard for me to admit sometimes and and I feel like I've been challenging myself more and more To be honest with myself about where I am on that spectrum. Where do you see yourself in relation to race now
1: Ryan? I mean, I was trying to think of things that in my mind that come up as maybe, you know, I should stand up for things, you know, when my friend throws an offhanded joke or something, some people I'll let it go and some people I won't. And what is the criteria of me letting it go and not letting it go? And obviously I think almost every time in blatant, just blatant racism, I will say it no matter who says it, but sometimes just an off color joke by someone we know or something like that, we kind of just throw it to the side and don't say much about it. And that stuff to me is like oh, maybe I should have said that I will think later or it's not always easy. It's to It's not. It. It's not always mm-hmm. easy at all. And you know, but you just do the best you can, I guess. In mm-hmm. that sense, what made you decide to call me at that particular time? Obviously, uh, everything with the George Floyd and the you know even before that with Ferguson and other things that just make you question where you're at in the spectrum. I guess you mm-hmm. know. And I like to think of myself as a good person. I want to believe I'm going to raise my kids the right way, but.
0: Everyone needs to learn a little bit. I know that there's room to improve. You mentioned the racist joke, and that's been a way that we've talked about, am I racist or where am I on the spectrum? So there's a number of different ways to quantify the spectrum or to differentiate the gradations of racism, overt racism. So those would be your neo-Nazis, your white supremacists, your clans people on the other end of the spectrum would be people that are actively anti-racist abolitionists, people that are giving their life to the cause of equality for all people. And in the middle would be someone who finds himself in the position of neutrality. If we apply the joke analogy, a racist person may tell racist jokes, have hatred in their heart for black people, people of color, Maybe the next gradation would be the person who laughs at the racist joke. Maybe the next level would be the person who hears the joke but doesn't laugh. And then maybe over from there would be the person who hears the joke and confronts the racist person for telling the joke. The next level would be the person who decides, I don't want somebody like that in my life anymore. How do we locate ourselves where we are And how do we find a way to move to a place that's more comfortable and hopefully closer toward anti-racism? Any idea where you might land in that spectrum? I don't, I'm not going to
1: say that I don't laugh at at an off-color joke. I'm not laughing the hardest in the room, but, you know, I actually thought of a story over on my way here about three years ago. And there was this guy that, uh, Started to talk with my boss was there. We were all just talking about baseball. And he said that Babe Ruth was the greatest. And I said, I, I always preferred, uh, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. You know, I, I saw him play or something, you know. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, Babe Ruth, he went off saying how Babe Ruth is the greatest, the greatest. And I said, well, how can you, how can you compare him to other people when he didn't face black people? Mm. And he said, well, that's because the blacks ruined baseball. I asked him i said excuse me and he was like well when the blacks came in baseball changed and now there's all these rules and i just couldn't take it anymore and i just went you are an effing racist right in his face Mm. the whole party stopped like a record scratching and i turned around and i went he is he's a racist and i'm leaving and i walked out the door it was a good friend of mine's party and I just said i know me i'm just gonna start getting loud and Mm -hmm. pretty obnoxious to this guy if i stay so i said goodbye and you know and that was it Mm -hmm. and you know so there's that and then there's the the fact that i can sit and laugh at someone that i like maybe make a joke Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and so in that spectrum i guess you know what Mm -hmm. i mean whereas i'm not starting racist jokes i'm not saying i never have or you know never will i i you know but I definitely can't say that I'm not laughing. I can't say that I'm uh, fighting the good fight at every moment. I definitely pick and choose sometimes. Yeah. So I don't know where that puts me on that spectrum, but I'm hoping to be better at it. You know, it's not easy. It's not. It's, you know, you you basically have to change some of your friends and family, you know. My father was definitely a racist, not a hood-wearing racist, but he grew up he was a New York City policeman and You know, he felt that, you know, the black people were just ruining America, if Mm -hmm. you will. And we couldn't change that about him, but we let him know when he was wrong. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and we definitely gave him an earful when he said something we didn't like. He wasn't using the N word or anything like that, but he was definitely making little jokes, uh, Mm -hmm. something fried chicken or something like that. And Mm -hmm. we would just look, all three of us kids would say, you know, no, that's not okay. We're not okay with that. We're not laughing at your joke. Like, to my dad you know was that hard well it definitely puts a damper on the evening or whatever it was Mm -hmm. we're there for because you know he gets all like wow whose kids are these kind of attitude you know what i mean and uh you know there's no changing he was almost 80 he just passed away this april and uh at the same time i know my dad if there was any way he could help any human being he Mm -hmm. would Mm -hmm. it's just a stereotype that he kept going and i'm ashamed i'm not ashamed i'm sorry to say that he couldn't correct that before he died you know what i mean i i would love to have seen him just at least say hey you know you were right or maybe not you're right but something to say i should have let that go i should have been a little bit better about that you mm-hmm. know and when he went to wherever he was going and he uh got there i think overall he was a good person with it or
0: without it you mm-hmm. know what i mean so I'm hoping he got where he was wanted to go. That's you know? the conflict that's difficult sometimes, to see good qualities in people and also the qualities that we wish weren't there or the qualities that seem in conflict with the goodness of the person. Where would you want your kids to land on that spectrum? Well, hopefully better
1: than me. And it seems that society in itself is correcting some of it. I don't... I don't think kids these days are telling as many off-color jokes as we did when we were kids. I, I mean, agree. It's just not accepted as easily nowadays, and which is great. It's in the right
0: direction. You know, Ryan, you've made it really clear at the impact that your father's had on you. And you link a lot of your feelings about racial disparity or racism or your feelings about what it means to be black or fear of blackness to your dad. I'm certain that racism is a learned feature. You know, kids are not born racist, but they're not born anti-racist either. They're probably born in a place of neutrality where they don't have feelings or ideas, thoughts or opinions about the differences between blackness and whiteness. Sounds like you're already starting to address that with your son. How do you see yourself doing things differently than your dad? I mean, I don't start
1: from the place my dad started from, to be honest, I a kid growing up in New York City and being a cop in New York City. So I don't have that on me as, you know, that he did. And I'm not trying to defend him in any way. I just, I don't have that. And I learned, luckily enough, young enough, that I don't like it. And so I definitely don't want to teach it to my kids. And, I you know, I won't allow it. And if I hear or see something, I'm going to let them know that that's just not right, you know, and I luckily surround myself with friends that also have, are like-minded and don't feel that the, any of that's okay. I'm not saying that a couple don't, you know, bad apples don't sneak into my friends, but for the most part, everyone else would also step up and say, hey, that's not right. And, you know, it takes a village in a sense, you know, and I'm hoping that with everyone that we surround ourselves with, that they'll
0: grow to understand that it's not accepted. Do you remember when you first became aware of race? Like when you became aware that there were differences and that there may be value placed upon those differences, positive or negative? The first time I remember feeling
1: like the odd man out in a sense was on the basketball. I used to ride my bike to this basketball court. How old were you? I was probably 15, 14. When, you know, when I first started up till like 17, 18, I would ride my bike to this park and play basketball. And, There were definitely other white kids but a lot of the guys were black and they would treat you as the white kid Mm -hmm. you know like you got whitey on this one or Mm -hmm. you know or something Mm -hmm. like that and it made you go oh well i guess i gotta take that one you know what Mm -hmm. i mean in a sense i remember that and i you know i remember my dad always bringing a gun whenever we went into the city my dad was a police officer so he always had a gun and I really think it was because there was a lot of black people in New York city.
0: You know what I mean? But you never talked to him about that. Never
1: really got into that. It was always just to protect us. But I think because it was more of about, you know, there's about a lot of black people. That's my dad's Mm -hmm. thinking. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like I said, I, you know, I wish he would have got past that before he passed, but you know, it's, uh, I remember those moments and I remember being in South Africa and feeling like the odd man out, like big time, you know, you're in a mall or something. you're, in this town that I was in, you were one of the only white people around. And you're like, hmm. you know. Did you feel unsafe at uh, all? Well, in, in certain areas. I did get jumped in Johannesburg, but it was my last day. And I was walking through a, a market, basically, me and my friend. And we were the only white people anywhere to be found. And it was nighttime. And we were jumped by these young kids, you know, they were probably 16, 17 year old kids, three of them. They grabbed my buddy and uh, they started pulling his stuff. And I just started swinging, not hitting, just like scaring them away. And luckily I'm a big guy, you know, and the Africans in South Africa weren't large as me. So I was intimidating to them. And so they kind of backed up and I grabbed my buddy and we like slowly just, you know, me facing them, backed up all the way into this building. But I remember that feeling of like I am the only white guy, well, mm-hmm. two white guys around, and you know it's like it was intimidating in that area, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But parts of my life that I can remember feeling the other way, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Whereas I can see you or any of my black friends that have dealt with it, and you don't really think about it too much. Yeah, I don't think about you having a hard time, you know what I mean. I don't even think about that. It doesn't register with me until I'm asked about it I'm like oh yeah it must have been difficult you know and you've probably had some moments where you as a big guy probably didn't have to deal with you could handle yourself in other words but I don't know I I wonder about how that must feel and and those are the only moments I can tell you that I felt and, Mm -hmm. and it's not even close to the same scale.
0: I don't know that it was all that different I mean you described how I would feel at times in those moments outnumbered not knowing if I was safe or not, not knowing if I had allies around that might step in to help, feeling the threat based upon difference in skin color. And yeah, there were times when I needed to fight and defend myself and I can recall them all from second grade on. All of those events, all of those incidents helped to inform my feelings around race. Did you have any Feelings that lingered after those experiences? Did you find yourself feeling a little more uncomfortable or a little more aware of when well, you were in situations? You know, I don't find myself in that situation very much anymore.
1: I don't play basketball anymore, and I live on Martha's Vineyard, which is predominantly white. It's um, It just doesn't, those sort of situations don't arise as much. I don't go into the cities anymore as much. Mm-hmm. Some My family's here, obviously, but so I don't think it, changed me in that way. I don't think so. I really don't. I think if anything, I know it was just situational.
0: Let me stay with, we're really interested on people's journeys into and out of racism. So we're trying to get a sense of the, the causes and effects. So what, what happens up front in early life that starts to shape our feelings and our opinions about what it means to be white or what it means to be black? Do you remember the first time you ever heard the N-word and if it had any effect on you? I remember hearing it as a kid. I don't remember it even affecting me, to be Mm -hmm. quite honest
1: with you. Mm -hmm. And and I don't remember the conversation that made me know that you don't say that. Hmm. Like, you know, I don't really remember. I'm I'm assuming my mother was like, don't say that ever. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So your mom felt really differently than your father, sounds like. I can't say that we ever really discussed it. Now I'm sure we've had discussions about it. But when we were kids, yeah, I don't... She, My mother wasn't... She didn't have that kind of hate in her. I don't think so. You know, she might have had some of the as a woman, maybe scared walking down the street in in New York city when she was a kid or something like that, you know, but I don't see her being that way or, you know, or in any way or never really remember her being anything racist in my life. I Mm -hmm. don't remember that her being like that.
0: One of the goals of shed is to help encourage and facilitate change. We have talked about racism as a social illness, So something that could be passed on from one person to another and maybe something that could be treated. And it may be like, like alcoholism that you always may have the capacity to go back to an active state of racism, but it may be that with enough information and enough tools in your toolbox that you may be able to live a life free from the effects of racism. To do this, we have used a stages of change model, and the stages of change model says that all change happens in stages. Even change that appears like it happens overnight really doesn't, that there's been factors building toward change. Pre-contemplation, contemplation, awareness, and this is a critical stage. Preparation, action, Take actions to change. And the last stage is maintenance. Often the things we need to do to maintain change are different than the actions we need to take to make change. Sounds like you have a lot of awareness. And I'm listening to you talk about being aware of things and you, you use language like right or wrong or good and bad. So you have this awareness that these old beliefs that you had when you were a kid the things that you heard your father say, the way that you you and your schoolmates were maybe dealing with the black students, aren't ways that you'd like to be or like for your kids to be. Do you agree you have awareness? I feel like I do, yeah. I do too. How about action? Are there any actions in your life that you feel you're taking to, to really make some changes? Well, I think I told you a bit of the story of how I... I...
1: I think I lost a really good friend recently because of uh, Facebook and his, in my opinion, blatant racism. I mean, he's a great friend. I love him to death and I, I still love him to death, but he says and does things that I don't appreciate and I call him out on it and I call him a racist and he had asked me not to do it on Facebook. Don't call me a racist on Facebook. But meanwhile, I could call him and he can be like, yeah, I know that was racist or something. Mm. And that's okay, but Mm -hmm. not on Facebook because, you know, his mother and stuff. And I was like, and I held true to that for the most part. He just says the wrong things and I I just don't appreciate it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I called him out again and I called him a racist and he basically just cut me off. Won't talk to me. And I'm like, all right. And I think he's waiting for an apology and Mm -hmm. I won't apologize for it. I refuse to. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to miss him and hopefully we'll get over it. But... I'm not going to apologize for what I believe is is wrong, I and mean, he should be called out for it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think I've had moments where I've definitely steered people away from me because I've called them out, and that's fine. I don't need those people in my life. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I'm sure I'm a, somebody's going to come out that listens to this among friends or something like that's going to like, well, remember you used to do this, so mm-hmm. say this, and I'm going to have to eat it. I'm you know, and own it, and you know, but. Can't think of anything offhand, but I'm definitely sure that I'd say and do some things that are wrong and drunk or and I say something silly and not even thinking about the consequences or not even thinking it through at all to be quite honest mm-hmm. with you and uh I'm not perfect, but I feel that I try to make some changes in in people and you know sometimes for good sometimes that
0: you know they don't they don't accept it. The Black Lives Matter movement stands for the end of oppression of all people of all oppressed people. One of the planks in their platform is that it's not enough anymore to just be not racist. That what's really needed is for people that feel, like you do in some ways, Ryan, to be anti-racist, to move from a position of neutrality to real allyship with black people in this country. You feel like you're ready to make that jump to active anti-racism yeah
1: i think i think i would be up for it like i i don't know how far i would be able to go at this time in a sense only just because of time itself Mm -hmm. but i think i'm going to keep my fight going with the people that i don't accept it you know that i know people that i don't accept it from and i you know maybe i need to broaden that as well but i definitely think i feel like i'm fighting the fight in a sense, my own way. But there's a lot to learn, you know what I mean? Just from this conversation, I've had some thoughts and stuff that I go, oh, you know, I I heard what I said and I went, oh, that didn't Mm.
0: sound right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And there's always room for improvement. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, we really appreciate your honesty and your willingness to be with us today on Shed. I hope to have you back sometime. Thank you for having me. Shed has been brought to you by the Vineyard Gazette. Thank you again for listening, and if you like what you heard, please share our podcast with your friends and family. Shed is produced by Amy Schumer, Renee Richardson, Jack Eby, Tony Phillips, Chris Fisher, and the Vineyard Gazette.